coffee this morning? Did you eat this morning? You know, just a little something, you know, maybe a pancake, a waffle, a bowl of oatmeal, some little chocolate donuts. I mean, something. Did you eat something today? Did you shower and brush your teeth today? Is that something that you have already done this morning? Before you left the house today, did you put on clothes instead of waiting to walk out in your pajamas? And did you put real clothes on before you walked out today? Now, why did you do those things? Well, you did those things because we eat and drink because our bodies need some energy. You know, we we need a little something to to do life, to kind of make it through the day. And the reason that you brush and shower and do all those other things is that's a way to take care of your body, and really it's a way to be really kind to us. And so we appreciate you doing that for all of us. See, we, we do those things because they become habits in our life. But can you imagine waking up one morning, and, and you wake up late, and you're like, oh, no, I'm, I'm running late already. I just, I don't have time for coffee. I, I, some of y'all, that's sin, right? I don't have time for coffee. You know, I just, gosh, I don't have time to brush and shower. I don't have time to look at Facebook. I don't have time to, to watch Fox News. I don't have time to look at my political websites. I, I just don't have time. I, I don't have time to feed and dress these kids. You know what? Everybody, no food, no internet, no social media, and we're going everywhere in our pajamas today. That's, that's what's happening. Now, a few of y'all are like, yes, that's every day in my home. You know, nothing's different. That's what happens every single day of my life. See, we we have these habits in life. We have these things that happen in life. We do things. You do things in your life every day. You have habits because they are necessary for your life. And there are some things, some basic habits that you do every single day because they have become a part of the rhythm of, of your life. But what about the rhythm of your soul? What about the the rhythm of your soul? Does your soul need energy? Does your soul need to be taken care of? When things in life get frantic, when things in life get frustrating, when things in life get frightening, when you get down or discouraged or depressed, how can helping your soul matter? How can you help your soul with the rhythm of life? Well, let's see if we can find out today. Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 4. And the tempter came and said to him. So who is the tempter? Where is this that he came to? And who is he talking to? Well, the tempter is your greatest enemy. Satan, the devil. And he has gone out to the wilderness to talk to Jesus. Now, somebody might be thinking, man, the devil, you gotta be kidding me. Come on, man, it's 2021. You're saying you still believe in the devil? Listen, throughout history, there have been people a lot more intelligent than me that have believed in the devil. Jesus not only believed in the devil, Jesus consistently spoke about the devil and his evil agents and the devil's evil kingdom. It was consistently discussed. The Screwtape Letters, written by C.S. Lewis, is a, a fictional book about a conversation, so to speak, between two or more of the enemy agents of the devil. 
And in that book, C.S. Lewis writes this, that we can have two mistakes when we approach the idea of the devil and his agents. And those two mistakes are this. We can either deny that they exist, which is a mistake, or we can believe they exist and be too excessive in our interest of them. In other words, we can spend way too much time being concerned about the devil and his agents and what they're doing, so much so that we stop worshiping and following Jesus. And so the idea is to not make either one of those mistakes, not to deny and not to believe excessively or obsessively. But I would say this. I would plead with you, even if you don't understand any of what it means that you would believe in the existence of the devil, that you would try really hard to believe that he hates you. And his desire is to destroy your soul. Your greatest enemy is the devil. He is the greatest enemy in your life. One of the ways he crusades against you is to tempt you. He's the tempter. He ain't shy. He'll tempt anybody. He'll tempt me. He'll tempt you. He'll tempt your favorite TV preacher. He'll tempt your favorite politician. He'll tempt your favorite parent or your favorite grandparent. How do we know? Because he tempted Jesus. He tempted Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth was perfect. Jesus never sinned. Never. He was tempted to sin, but he never gave in to temptation. Not a single time. Jesus never went over to his little brother James and jerked a toy out of his hand and said, Mine! Jesus, he he never acted like that cool kid in high school that all the girls should like. He never did that. Jesus never got in the 10 items or less line with 25 cans of manwich. Jesus never did that. Jesus never wrote too much money on his taxes to say he had done all this carpentry work at the church that he hadn't really done. Jesus never sinned. He was tempted, but he never gave in to temptation. And never do we see that more clearly than this moment in the life of Jesus. Because in this moment, something fun had just happened. Jesus had just been baptized in water. Just been baptized in the Jordan River by his cousin John. And then immediately after his baptism, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. Don't miss that, okay? Jesus was beginning his earthly ministry, and the Holy Spirit did not lead him to the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem to be the senior pastor. He delivered him into the wilderness. He led him out into the wilderness. Now, when we think about wilderness, we might think about camping out in the mountains of North Carolina, but, but this was different. This was more like a, like a desert. This was maybe 30, 40 miles southeast of Jerusalem. It was isolated. The Holy Spirit led Jesus away from civilization, away from social media, away from the TV, away from everything in life to be isolated. And then the tempter shows up. And when did he show up? Well, he showed up when Jesus was hungry. At this moment, 
Jesus has already fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. 40 days without food is not natural. I mean, 40 minutes for me is kind of a stretch, okay? So 40 days is a big deal. So there's some supernatural kindness from God going on here in these 40 days. But for 40 days, Jesus has not had anything to eat. It's this idea the Bible describes as fasting. Fasting is when we purposely refrain from something so that we can specifically go pursue God, seek God for some unique thing. Now, in the Bible, we see fasting usually associated with food, not eating. It it could be some other things that you fast from, but, but generally speaking, it's food, and here's why. So in that moment when your stomach begins to growl, you would pray. That that's what you'd be driven to do. You, you'd pray. Instead of grabbing a banana or a pack of nabs, you'd pray when that, when that grumbling begins to happen. Because what happens when you pray is this. You begin to turn to God. You begin to long for God. You begin to believe in God. You begin to be a little more dependent on God. And this is contrary to every bone in our American body and in the Western world. But the greatest gift in the universe is to be completely dependent on God. We are independent people. We want to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We want to earn our own way. All of those things are good and noble. But the greatest gift in the universe is dependence. Dependence on God. Fasting teaches us to depend on God. Fasting teaches us to be desperate for God. Fasting helps us to have a hunger for God. And that hunger is the greatest hunger we can have. Jesus, he's in the wilderness. He's fasting. He's having time alone with God. And in that moment, while that was happening, the tempter shows up stirs things up, and tempts Jesus. Now, we might say, and I think somewhat rightly, well, that's not fair. I mean, come on. Jesus is hanging out with God. Jesus is spending time alone with God. That should be a a no-temptation zone. But it's not. Listen, if you seek God, if you pursue God, you can guarantee the tempter is going to tempt you. And just so you know, usually... The tempter does his greatest work right after your spiritual victory. That's what's happening here. Jesus had just experienced the wonder and the excitement of his baptism. A dove descended from heaven. A voice from heaven cried out. God said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. It was a great, exciting, positive, encouraging moment. It was like Christmas morning. And then all of a sudden, here comes the tempter to break all the new toys. He just intervenes. St. Jerome said this, baptism does not drown the devil. Temptation never goes away, which is why it is so important for us to follow the pattern of Jesus and spend time with God by ourselves alone. To stay in fellowship with God on our own. You can't make it if this time is your only time with God. You can't. You can't make it if Sunday morning is all you got. And if you're trying, 
if you are trying to just make Sunday morning the only time you have with God, if you're not pursuing God, spending time with God during the week on your own, then I can promise you everybody around you knows it. You may think you have us fooled. We may think we're fooling other people. But if we're not spending time with God, the people around us know it. Adrian Rogers once said this, We say that we are not ashamed of the gospel, but how often is the gospel ashamed of us? We must spend time with God. Why? Because life gets frantic. And life gets frustrating. And life gets frightening. And we get down and we get discouraged and we get depressed. So we must spend time with God. We must. Temptation will come and How did the tempter tempt Jesus? Listen to verse 3. If you're the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Remember, it's been 40 days since Jesus has had anything to eat. So in this moment of his life, the greatest and most practical need in his life is food. The greatest challenge in his life in this moment is he is crazy hungry. Listen. That is exactly how the enemy will work in your life and my life. Whatever your greatest challenge is, that's usually what he attacks. Over the last 72 hours, the greatest challenge in my life right now is exactly how the tempter has attacked me over the last three days. So what's your challenge? What's your greatest challenge in life right now? What is that thing? Is it money? Is it your health? Is it anger? Is it frustration? Is it fear or worry or intimacy? Look, those are his bread and butter. He'll use those over and over and over again. And make no mistake, the goal with every temptation is to turn you away from God. Again, in the Screwtape Letter, C.S. Lewis said this, It does not matter how small the sins are, their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into nothing. That's the goal. It doesn't matter what the sin is. If the sin's able to accomplish pulling you away from the light and into the nothing. After 37 years of being a Christian and 27 years of being a minister, I have never had a season of life where no matter who I talk to, who I Zoom with, who I see, no matter what state or county that I'm in, I've never had a time of life where so many professing Christians seem to have walked away from the light and stepped into the nothing. The nothing of of pundits and and politics, the nothing of of privilege and and pandemics and procrastination and pouting, the the nothing. We've stepped into the nothing. We've embraced the nothing. Remember, it's the, the nothing that is the goal. The enemy wants to get us in the nothing and away from the light. And it doesn't matter what is used. It can be good and noble He doesn't care. He'll use good and noble things to edge you away from God. It's how he works. He'll use anything he can to get us to step out of the light 
and start paying to paying attention to all of the nothing. C.S. Lewis goes on, murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. No matter, whatever. And he says this, indeed the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signpost. Whatever works. Whatever will get you to ignore the gospel. To whatever will get you to say, God's not sovereign, he's not providential, he's not in charge. Whatever will get you to take your anger and your fear and put it above the truth about Jesus, even if just for an hour. That's his goal. His goal is to edge us away from God. The tempter will use whatever works. And what does he use with Jesus? He says, hey, Jesus, why don't you take these stones and turn them into bread? He's trying to get Jesus to ignore the provision of God. I mean, it sounds pretty good, right? Hey, I mean, Jesus, come on, you're out here doing God's will. Come on, you're you're having a quiet time with God. You've been having a quiet time with God for 40 days. Come on. Isn't, Isn't God supposed to be the daily bread guy? Where's your daily bread? Hey, you know what? I bet you can take these stones and turn them into bread. I bet you can do it. I bet you've got the power. Come on. You just take a second. Just just do You know what? You deserve it. Hey, after all, God helps those that help themselves. That's how the tempter talks to us, too. He says, look, quit, quit trusting God. Quit waiting on God. Quit doing things God's way, because, hey, we can see it's not working, right? I mean, look at the economy. God's way isn't working. I mean, look at the state of politics. God's way is not working. Look at the state of everything happening. God's way is not working. We need to abandon that. Look, trust yourself. Trust your opinions. Trust your experience. Trust your abilities. Trust your traditions. Trust your new ideas. You take this. You handle it. You got it in you. It's the same way he talks to us today. The same way he tempts us today. So, How does Jesus respond to the tempter? Verse 4, Jesus turned and said, It is written. (laughs) Drop the mic. That's it, right there. Jesus responds with Scripture. Now, someone might say, well, Jesus didn't have a Bible. Jesus wasn't out there with the King James. He wasn't out there with a study Bible. He, he didn't have a Bible. Jesus was just out in the wilderness hanging out with God. So we can do the same thing. We don't need a Bible. Well, we just go out in the wilderness and just hang out with God, and we can kind of write Christianity for how things are right now. Jesus didn't do that. I mean, he didn't. Jesus didn't give a new word. Jesus didn't give a a new revelation or a new revolution. No, in the moment that the greatest enemy in the universe attacked him, his greatest enemy, your greatest enemy, Jesus said to him, it is written. In a moment where he needed some food, he needed some help, Jesus didn't turn to pundits or politics or pandemics or privilege or procrastination pouting. Jesus turned to the powerful, already written down truth of God. Truth that existed before the foundations of the world. 
Jesus prayed what was written. Jesus taught what was written. Jesus lived out what was written. Jesus fought temptation what was written. Jesus, he he battled fear. He battled frustration. He battled discouragement and depression with what was written. Jesus battled pandemics. He battled political conflicts. He battled procrastination and privilege and pouting with what was written. Jesus battled and did life by what was written, the truth of God. How do we do life? What are we battling with? What are our weapons? See, the rhythm of the life of Jesus was defined by what was written. The rhythm of his soul was defined by the truth of God. So, what defines the rhythm of your life? I mean, think about your normal habits right now. What defines the rhythm of your life? Is it social media? Is it the stock market? Is it your health? Is it talk radio? Is it your hobbies? Is it your favorite sports team? Is it your to-do list? When the greatest enemy of your soul attacked Jesus, Jesus dealt with it by saying, it is written. So what does that mean for you? Here's what it means. You don't need a new word. You don't. You don't need a new revelation. You don't need a new revolution. You don't need a a new dream. You don't need a new song. You don't need a, a new preacher. I don't know. You may. I don't know. You don't need a new preacher. You don't need a new church. You don't need a new politician. You don't need whatever new you think you need. What you need is what is written. What you need the most is the truth of God. Even if you don't know it, even if you don't believe it, your soul was created with a hunger for the rhythm of God's truth. It's what your soul longs for the most, even if you don't know it, and even if you don't believe it. This is what your soul is longing for, what has been written. The truth that continues to stand the test of time. And never in history have the opportunities for you to do that been greater. This is the time of all times for you to hit the buffet of God's truth. There are large print Bibles, and there's study Bibles, and there's audio Bibles, and there's Bible apps, there's Braille Bibles. There there is no way for you not to get access to the truth of God. And so now, in this moment of history opportunity is knocking on your door. Someone has said the most expensive thing in the world is missed opportunity. Friend, right now, don't miss this opportunity in your life. If you are 8 years old or 18 years old or 88 years old, if you've been a Christian 8 days or 80 years, it doesn't matter. Right now is your time. Right now is your time. Right now is your time. The opportunity to know the God of the universe is right here in front of you. God's truth is available. Don't miss the opportunity. Open the door and take advantage of what is written. That's what Jesus did. Jesus could have ripped 
Satan up one side and down the other using his own words. We all know that person, right? Maybe you were that person. You know, growing up, man, you could throw a zinger out like nobody. You know, just on the fly. Jesus could have tore him up with his own words, but he didn't. He didn't. He didn't have a a Twitter battle with Satan. He, He didn't try to, you know, throw some nasty TikTok out to try to make Satan look bad. No, Jesus just said, it is written. That's his answer. His way of dealing with temptation was with the truth of God. And listen, the same is true for me and for you. Whatever your temptation is, if your temptation is to hate everything happening in our country, you know what? Here's your answer. It is written. If your temptation is to be afraid of everything happening in the world right now, here's your answer. It is is written. If your temptation is to sit at your house and do nothing to blow everybody off and just ride out life, here is your help. It is written. The way Jesus did life was with the truth of God and so can you. So can you. So, which scripture did Jesus use? Listen to verse 4. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is great. Hey, Jesus, turn these stones to bread. You know what? I haven't had anything for 40 days, but it's okay. Because we don't live just by bread, but by God's truth. Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy. In that time and in that moment, the people of God were out in the wilderness, just like Jesus. And they had no food. They were starving. Not like for two hours. They were starving. And they had no way to get their own food. They were completely helpless. They couldn't whip up some tacos. They couldn't make some ramen noodles. They had nothing. They could do nothing. They were starving. They were hungry. And they were helpless. But they weren't hopeless. They weren't hopeless because God was with them. And God gave them manna from heaven. Literally this this bread, this honey kind of bread that showed up on the ground like dew in the morning. They were desperate. They were hungry. And in that moment, they discovered what it meant to depend on God. They discovered what it meant to depend on God, to be desperate for God, to be hungry for God, and to be confident in God. His moment where he's fighting hunger, Jesus fought his hunger with confidence in God. Jesus, when he's fighting temptation, he fought his temptation with confidence in God. It was his habit. With one wave of his hand, he could have turned those stones into bread. But if he did, it would have been a display that God is not enough. That God is not the ultimate reality in the universe and you should just take care of it yourself. But that's not what Jesus did. He didn't deny God, nor did he deny what God provides or the way God provides or the when of when God provides. He didn't deny God at all. 
He resisted the devil. That's what he did. Jesus, in the moment where your greatest enemy attacked him, he handled it by using the truth that we find in the Bible. Sounds too simple. Sounds way too simple. Come on, got to be more to it than that. Undoubtedly, there's not. Undoubtedly, Jesus was pretty clear. It is written. And here's what was written. So, one hard statement, one offending statement, and then an invitation. Here's, Here's the hard statement. If you do not read the Bible, and and maybe I would do a little slash there, if you don't read the Bible for the purpose of building up your joy in God, then the Bible does not matter to you. I I know that's offensive, sorry, but bless your heart, it's true. And you know how I know? Because it's true about me too. See, somehow, some way, when you look at everything else in your life, that other stuff matters because you ain't going to miss your coffee, right? Because your coffee matters to you. And you're going to brush your teeth and you're going to shower because it matters to you. And you're going to eat breakfast because it matters to you. You're going to eat lunch or dinner because it matters to you. And, and you're going to put clothes on instead of going out in your pajamas because it matters to you. And so when we avoid the Bible, when we avoid what has been written, it's because the tempter has used probably some really good and noble things to get us to step away from the light and into the nothing. The, the, the nothing that does nothing for us. He uses good and noble things to edge us away from God. That's the hard thing. So here's the invitation. The one true God of the universe loves you. He loves you. And he loves you so much that he gave his son to die for you so that you would believe in him, be rescued from sin, and that you would have life that is everlasting. That same God has spoken to you. The one true God of the universe has spoken to you. He wrote it down for you. So, I invite you to read and to listen and to find the rhythm that your soul is longing for more than anything else. Right now, what are you angry about the most? What is it? What are you angry about the most? What are you what are you the most frustrated about right now? Right now, what are you the most afraid of? What are you afraid of more than anything else right now? Right now, what what are you apathetic about? What are, what are you just blowing off? What do you just not care about? What is that one thing in your life that's keeping you away from the light and keeping you tied up in the nothing? What is that thing? Whatever it is, Jesus has this help that never fades, this medicine that never loses its punch. And here's the medicine. It's three words. It is written. It is written. It is written. So, what does that look like in real life? 
Rachel Jankovic is a wife and mom. She has seven kids. That's right, seven kids. So when it comes to excuses for not reading the Bible, she wins, all right? None of us have anything on her. But this is what Rachel wrote. What does following Christ look like when it comes to Bible reading? See, this is, this is my kind of way to end a sermon, all right? You're not going to start crying, you know. I'm not going to read you some story about somebody bleeding and dying for someone. I'm going to read you the most basic, somewhat boring thought that maybe you'll hear all week long. But if you catch it, and if I catch it, it can change your life this week. So this is what she says. What does following Christ look like when it comes to Bible reading? And her answer is this. It looks like believing him. It looks like taking up the book and reading. It looks like listening on audio while you get ready. Like snatching some reading throughout the day as naturally as you might grab a few crackers or eat an apple. Like chew on that for a second. What do you check more than anything else every day? We all got something, all right? You're checking sports scores all day long. I mean, you're, you're on the ESPN app every five minutes. You know, you're washing your hands with the app, you know, open. Or you're checking stock market, or you're checking the stock market. You're checking social media. You're looking for recipes. I mean, updates, news alerts, breaking news on your political sites. What do you check all day long? What do you, what do you look at all day long? What Rachel's saying is this. What we're looking at all day long is feeding who we are. It's feeding who we are. I I heard an interview with a country music star this week, or last week sometime, and and they were asked a question, how do you come up with your lyrics? And he said something really interesting. He said, I heard a guy years ago in Nashville say, if there's no input, there will not be any output. Meaning... You've got to be feeding yourself. And whatever you're feeding yourself will be the output. So, let me really hurt your feelings. What are you going to talk about in the hall in the parking lot when church is over? You're going to start complaining about the restaurant? You're going to start complaining about your politicians or or wearing a mask? What is it? What will happen after you spend an hour worshiping God? What will be the first output of your life? See, the input matters. And so just, just, just play with me here for a second, okay? What if your Bible app gets stuck next to your Facebook app? And before you check Facebook tomorrow, you just open the Bible app first. Just, I, look, give it 10 seconds, okay? Just, just what if you did that first? What if every time before you open Facebook... You opened your Bible app. What if every time before you opened your sports app, you opened the Bible app? What if every time before you opened your email or your text messaging or TikTok or whatever it is that you're looking at or your computer screen or CNN or Fox News, whatever it is that you check all day long, what if you checked first with what is written? What if you check first with the truth that existed before your team existed? The truth that existed before your stock existed? The truth that existed before you existed. What if we checked in with the truth of God first and most all day long, like we grab a candy bar, like we grab an apple, like we grab lunch? Do we really think it won't do anything in our lives? 
Here's what it looks like. It, it looks like believing Jesus. It looks like saying, I don't know, I guess Jesus said it is written. Maybe I should believe that too. The one true God of the universe loves you. He loves you. And the one true God of the universe, He has spoken to you. So read and listen. Let His truth become part of the rhythm of your soul. Maybe in the simplest way, I would just say this. Do everything you can to keep stepping into the light.